What is up guys, Combat Addict here. Uh, I don't know how you guys are doing, but I'm doing alright. If you didn't notice, I don't look the same. I've got a mediocre haircut and no glasses. Because when everything closed because of COVID-19, your boy was like, Hey man, you gotta fucking cut your hair. Because I hate having like long hair now. I had long hair for two years. And... Or at least I grew it for two years. And it was cool, you know. At one time I had twists. I looked like Travis Scott. Not really. But I did. Did have long hair. But uh, when I cut it, I said, I'm never growing it out again. I didn't even really miss it. Like, I, there was a moment, like, when I just cut it and I was, uh, I felt kind of weird about it. But I got over that pretty quickly. Anyways, that's not important. That's not really what this podcast is even about. This is the combat review. And for those of you who are wondering... LeVar, what happened to Monday? Why wasn't there a Monday show? Well, my child, that is because we tried something different this week. If you didn't already see it, we did a short burst, adrenaline-packed, entertainment-filled 10-minute video where we talked about the main event. And I'm thinking that's my, that might be what, what I want to do for main events. We could still have the, the, the combat review of like the actual event on the Monday, per se, or something. Or, or maybe even on the Sunday as well. But on the Sunday, I'm thinking we might do that. Might... Uh, just have a, a main event review and then do all the other stuff all the other uh, fights afterwards which is what we're gonna do now and then talk about some other stuff real briefly but that's basically what's going on so that's why you didn't get the podcast on Monday but I'm back I was gone for a minute but I'm back now sit the fuck back down it's the combat addict the first fight of the night was a catchweight bout at 150 pounds. We had Sean Woodson and Julian Arosa. Both of them, I guess, are newbies in the sense that Julian Arosa had fought, I think, in the UFC before, but then he was cut. And then he won outside of the UFC and they let him back in. They gave him this fight on less than a week's notice. Um, which is a common theme that I'm, I'm noticing with the fights happening lately. It seems like because they're just trying to pump out as many events as possible and because no one is going to turn the UFC down, they can afford to just tell somebody that they're going to fight literally the day before. There's a guy on this card who fought 24 hours or who was notified 24 hours, I believe, before the fight or something like that. And people will just sprint out because it's, it's fucking Dana White in the UFC, which... I mean, I don't blame them. That makes sense. It's a fucking problem, though. I don't think it should be that way. I think that's really unfair to the fighters. Um, and if you got somebody on your radar that you might want to have in an event, 
perhaps, you know, don't just, oh shit, what we need, somebody let me scroll through the fucking book the week of, like, maybe you should actually, you know, plan ahead and, and call them, like, a couple of weeks beforehand, and say, hey, just be ready, I mean, there's no guarantee that you're gonna get a fight, but just be ready, you know, that's just, like, I don't know, I just think it's, I'm sure they don't care, they're all just happy to be there, to have the opportunity, but for me, I just kind of think to myself, like, I mean, as an organization, is it really the case that the UFC can't do that? Because I think they could. I really think they could do that. And I just think it's kind of like almost disrespectful to the fighters that they wouldn't try to do that. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm an asshole. Maybe I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I just think that's kind of a shitty thing to do to some people or a bunch of people on such a regular occasion. I mean, so many fighters found out they were fighting like this week. It's crazy. But hey, man, I guess that's why the UFC is exciting as well, right? Because it's just people just siphon in and out and it's just crazy. People just drop in and you get a superstar out of nowhere and it's super exciting. So, hey, man, maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. Maybe it's a good thing. In any case, Julian Arosa was notified the week of that he was fighting Sean Woodson. Uh, and can I just say, so Sean Woodson, I think he's had over 50 boxing fights. He's like 46 and, well, I guess that wouldn't be 50, but he's like 46 and 4 or something like that. Or I guess that would be 50, wouldn't, wouldn't it? I was about to say 46 and 3, but then I decided that I think he said 4. He had lost 4 of them. So math does work. Anyways, so he's he's got great hands. Um, but just before we even get into that, his striking ability. Can I just say that this guy looks fucking terrifying? There's something, man, every once in a while you get an MMA body that comes along. And it is just so atypical. It is just so different from every other body. You got, it's like, you just, you can't fucking help yourself. You're just like, that is a scary looking motherfucker. Like, doesn't matter like what division they're in. Because this guy is Sean Woodson. He, he fights like 150 pounds, right? Like most people, most grown men, like, I mean, probably couldn't kick his ass because he's obviously had a lot of boxing fights and he knows what he's doing. But what I'm saying is, you know, it doesn't matter... You know how 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 scary somebody thinks they are if they're 150 pounds you know you're not scaring somebody who's like 225 or something 200 pounds now obviously he cuts down to 150 but my point is that it's not as if he's like a giant you know thick muscular human being he's relatively thin but what's scary is that he, he's he's built like a daddy long legs He's built like a fucking spider. Like, like it's, it's insane. His femurs are so goddamn long. I was looking at him in the fight, and I just kept thinking to myself, like, how the fuck? What kind of genetics, man? His fucking femur, man. It 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 is like the length of 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 a flyweight's entire leg. It's just so goddamn long. 
He's like six foot three or some shit fighting at 150. Some bodies just are like that, man. What's his name? Nico Price kind of has one of those bodies too. Where you just look at him and you're like, that body just looks like it's capable of destruction. It just, it just oozes capability. You know? Brock Lesnar, technically, is another one of those bodies where you just look at him and you're like, man, what the fuck is that? That's not a human being. Brock Lesnar less so, but definitely, definitely Sean Woodson, man. The guy's body, it's, it's fucking insane. He looks, he looks like a, a fucking ghoul. Terrifying. A lot of hype surrounding Sean Woodson, though. Lots of hype. I mean, this is the first time that I have heard of him. Well, actually, I don't think that's true. I think I saw him fight on the Contender Series because when I saw those clips, they looked familiar. But I believe he's only had that fight and then one other fight in the UFC against Kevin Bokniak. I think that's his name. Kyle Bokniak? Bokniak. Last name Bokniak. Who's a fucking savage, by the way? I mean, that guy throws the fuck down. And he did really well. Decision win over Bokniak, knockouts of, of other individuals with knees, which is interesting because he's a boxer, was a boxer. But you can see in the fight, like, I mean, let's get into the fight now. First round, I gave a 10-9 Sean Woodson because Sean Woodson was just superior on the feet. Just superior. And it's not even just that he was he was more active. Uh, he... he, he he wasn't active in a futile sense. I mean, the guy was landing, you know. Throughout this fight, I was looking at Julian, and it, it, there were full, like, 20, 30-second increments where he was just eating shots to the face on and off, like, for that entire 30-second period. And I just kept thinking, like, I'm like, my God. He's just walking in to a fucking meat grinder and just getting peppered the fuck up. But what's, what really impressed me about uh, Sean Woodson is that it's not even just that his striking is uh, like really good fundamentally. He plays. He plays. Which is really great. I mean, it's, it's really fun to see a fighter almost doing tricks, right? Everyone calls it showboating, I guess. But he's, but he's out here with his hands... He's out here with his hands, right? He's got the right hand out. He's like pawing it, pawing it, pawing it, pawing it. Then he paws the left hand once and throws it over from the southpaw stance, right? I mean, he's fucking, um, he's dancing, you know? And one thing that I noticed about his punches as well, they come in, because he's so long, it's like they come in at uh, like weird angles. Like he'll throw a punch but it comes it comes forward up and then down like he's got enough length to make that punch work so even if you're going to try to slip it's almost like he can follow you his fists are like heat seeking missiles or something so the first round uh, i mean it's it's just it's just he he outclasses him on the feet uh Julian Arosa is just 
you know, holding his own. I mean, he's throwing punches back. It's not that he's getting his ass whooped, but it's clear that uh, Sean Woodson is winning. Now, the second round, I think, was interesting for Julian Arosa because we really got to see that Julian Arosa is about this life. <laughs> Julian Arosa is not fucking around at all. Um... This was the round, I believe, where I watched him for like what felt like 30 seconds just eat punches over and over and over again. And Sean Woodson is just touching him, you know what I mean? Just kind of peppering him. Um, but Julian Rose is an absolute dog. He's an animal. In my personal opinion, this fight was like an initiation. He's like, welcome to MMA. Because I don't think that Sean Woodson has seen adversity yet. I mean, he was undefeated prior to this fight and I just ruined the ending for you guys unless you've seen the event but um he basically is welcoming him to MMA while he's getting outclassed when it comes to the striking with the clinch game knees and elbows and actually just forward aggression walking opponent the opponent down Julian Arosa is dominating that aspect of the fight I mean he's laying into this kid and and basically uh forcing him to show us how tough he really is. And I fucking love that. I love that shit. Um, even though Julian Arosa looks to be just sort of like your standard fighter, it's always satisfying to know that the superstars who come into MMA sort of have to remember to respect individuals who have been at this for a while, who do this exclusively or who did this exclusively. Those guys are still no joke. Um... But unfortunately, that still wasn't enough to overcome the striking of Sean Woodson, in my opinion. Uh, and so it was, again, a 10-9. In round three, though, Sean Woodson uh, finally drops Julian Arosa, who just won't stop walking forward. Uh, he finally drops him. And I watched this a little while ago. But uh, the fight went to the ground. And at this point, you're thinking to yourself, okay, fight's over no matter what. The fight is 100% over. Sean Woodson is going to win. Amazingly, Julian Arosa pulls off what I believe would be a... What side was the arm on? The arm was on the outside. So he, he had it like this. So I believe that that is a darce choke. A darce choke uh, was landed. Or not landed. That's not a punch. You can't throw a darce choke. Fucking darce choke. Doesn't work that way. Um, so he, uh, he, he's locked up that submission. Uh, drags the leg of uh, Sean Woodson uh, over to him with his legs. Holds him in place and chokes him. Sean Woodson has no choice but to tap out, and it was solidified. He had been initiated. <laughs> Julian Arosa initiated Sean Woodson. He said, okay, come in here and fight me. You got 50 boxing fights? That's great. Oh, you can outstrike me? That's great. How do you like knees? How do you like a bloody nose? Oh, and did you work on your jujitsu? Clearly not enough. And this is good for both fighters because Julian Arosa needed this win, I believe. Uh, I mean, he this is his first, first fight back. And, um, you know, 
you want to you wanna do a good job. You want to do a good job. You want to show Dana. You want to show Sean Shelby all these, all these people that you belong there. And he did. He took out the prospect. Prospect is going to be fine, I'm sure. Take some time off to work on some jiu-jitsu. But... Sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's the OGs, sometimes it's the people who are who are uh, versed in MMA only that you need to take note of. I mean, the guy had a record of I think it was twenty two and nine. Some champions have records similar to that. Like Dustin Poirier's got like a twenty six and like five record or some shit. Like the dudes, the dudes MMA, MMA uh, worthy, MMA focused. And he pulled out the win. Next fight was a welterweight bout. We had Takashi Sato versus Jason Witt. Now this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. Jason Witt had a 24-hour notice for this fight. 24-hour notice. You fucking kidding me? Guy guy runs out on his uh on his, his his client. I think he was training somebody. Flies over and gets in there to go at 170 pounds. Guys, this is short and sweet. I'm not gonna fucking belabor this point, okay? At four minutes and fifteen seconds in, there is a finish. Jason Witt gets knocked down and TKO'd. <laughs> Gets fucking brutalized. That was the fight. <laughs> Next fight we had was at middleweight. It's almost like we're going up a weight class every time. But uh, this was between Brendan All-In Allen and Kyle Dawkins. Brendan Allen was a contender series winner. And uh, I've actually had my eye on this guy. If you're if you're interested in the UFC, keep an eye on Brendan Allen. He's good. He's good. Um, he's got a lot of work to do, uh, but I, I really believe that if he keeps going, he could be a contender. You know, he could be a contender. Seriously. Uh, this fight, uh, first round, I gave it ten nine to Brendan Allen because early he drops Kyle Dawkins with a knee. Brutal knee, by the way. Brutal knee. Um, they go down. Brendan Allen gets back control. He's a grappler. Um, and his back control is phenomenal. I mean, he, he basically rode the guy for half the round. Um, at some point, Kyle Dawkins also got Brendan Allen's back. And he also had incredible back control. This matchup was just really good. I don't know who made this matchup. I don't know who, who who decided that these two should fight each other, but they're a genius because these guys were pretty pretty evenly matched when it came to attributes and at the very least grappling skills. Brendan Allen uh, did cut Kyle Dawkins open uh, near the end of this round, though. So the first round I gave to uh, Brendan Allen, 10-9. One thing that I did notice, uh, even in the latest... Or the, the, a little bit of round one, but definitely round two, is that Kyle Dawkins' striking was just better. He was just faster. He was just more crisp. 
and it was clear to me that the ability of Brendan Allen to dominate on the ground is actually probably what won him this fight because he was losing on the feet. Um, there were moments on the ground where Brendan Allen was elbowing Kyle Dawkins, and the sounds that were made, I mean, they were just so gross. <laughs> they were so sickening, man. They were absolutely disgusting. Um, and we're going to talk about this a bit later. But all I've got to say for right now is that when you can actually, when you don't have an audience and you can actually hear the damage that's being done by these fighters to each other, it really makes you re like reevaluate what exactly is happening. Reevaluate what exactly it is that they're doing. When you can hear the flesh being pounded in, it, man, it really, you, you, you start to understand, like, when, when fighters say stuff like it's life or death in there, they're not fucking around, man. Like, they're really inches from death in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, they are inches from death. Anyways, at the end of the second round, Brendan Allen drops him on the buzzer. Uh, and I... He, to be honest, he was winning the round anyway, but I gave it to him 10-9. Uh, last round, Kyle Dawkins ended up dominating the whole round with a body triangle. So I gave him the last round 10-9. But... Um, it's obvious that Brendan Allen won, and there was a unanimous decision for Brendan Allen. However, there was something that was um, a little bit concerning. A little bit concerning. One of the judges scored the contest 30-27 for Brendan Allen. That means that all three rounds went to Brendan Allen. Now, it was clear to all of us watching including the, you know, the commentators, the fans, I'm sure, that Kyle Dawkins took the third round. He, he controlled the back the entire time. It was, it, was, it was conclusive. Like, there was no way you could debate it. But some judge out there still gave it to Kyle Dawkins. And it makes me think that either the judge wasn't watching the fight and just assumed, like they just spaced out, like, they just hopped on their phone or something, and then halfway through the fight, they were like, oh, well, maybe I should actually, like, score this. I forgot I was at work. And just assumed that Brendan Allen won. Or they just don't understand MMA at all. And look, man, that's, that's a big mistake. That's not a little mistake. I mean, this wasn't a championship title fight, and it wasn't like anybody had a victory stolen from them, but somebody definitely had a round stolen them from them. And if that was a championship fight and somebody stole a round from you, it's possible that you could lose even though you should have won, which is what a lot of people said happened to Dominic Reyes. Although I was one of the people who, who, who thought it wasn't completely outrageous that John Jones won that fight.
So maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe I'm one of those judges. But at the very least, I got this right. And that judge got it very, very, very wrong. The next fight was between Jean Volante and Maurice Green. Now, honestly, I didn't like this fight. I'm going to be straight with you. Um, John Volante moved up to heavyweight from middleweight or uh, light heavyweight and um, I'm going to be honest he didn't look very good and I haven't seen John Volante in a long time and uh, there's a part of me that wonders if he's just doing this right now to make some money because it doesn't even seem to me like when he was walking out he just didn't even there was no fire, you know what I mean? Usually you see fighters walk out and it's like they're happy to be there. They want to do it. But John Volante just looked like he was kind of like, yep, it's me, John. <laughs> so I'm kind of worried for the guy because it, it, it seems like that's not good. I mean, if you're fighting not because you want to, you might be doing it because you need money or something like that. And if that's the case, then... That's kind of sad because it means that you don't have any other options for a livelihood. And that I, mean, I don't even want to think about where that thought process is going to take me. But in any case, he decided that he wanted to fight at heavyweight. He fought Maurice Green. This fight was kind of boring. Maurice Green was really active, way more active than John Vellante. I mean, it's clear to me that he was going to win th rounds, through rounds one, two, um, one and two. There was something he was doing, though, that was kind of like, just almost like, I don't know how to feel about this. So Green, when he when he strikes, and I noticed that Holly Holm does this too. When Maurice Green strikes, he makes a noise. He's like, huh, huh, huh. Honestly, guys, I'm going to be straight with you. I, I don't know, and I think I need to do the research to find out whether or not this is true or not. I don't know how you'd find this information. This is extremely specific. I don't know if that grunting is a, is a, is a, um, like a waste of energy, but I imagine that doing that every time you strike makes it harder to control your breathing. I just imagine that the that there's more going on there than needs to be. When you strike, you should just be going, shh. That's, that's, that's my, that's always been my like theory of why. And anytime I catch myself grunting, I don't think that it has anything to do with the technique that I'm doing and, and it being better as a result of that. I always just think that I'm doing that because for a minute I'm in my ego and I feel badass because I'm grunting while I'm hitting something like a punching bag. I'm just like, Ugh. You know, and I just think I'm fucking sick, but you're not, you're, you're not sick. You're just making noises and shit and you need to fucking stop. Holly Holm does this too. She goes, hey, 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 every time she fucking strikes. And it's, it's actually, I mean, it's not that annoying per se, but it just makes me think like, what, like, why, why are you doing that? Do you think it gives you anything? Because at the very least, at the very least, going, huh, leaves you open for being knocked out in that your your mouth is open. So if somebody hits you, there's a higher chance you're going to get knocked out. 
if you just breathe out of your teeth, then at least you're clenched up. So it's not like you, your jaw's gonna get broken if you get punched in the face. You know, nobody's gonna fucking Colby Covington, Colby Covington you halfway through a fight. I really don't think that that's a good thing that fighters do. I think that that's... I think that that's, that, that's annoying, man. You shouldn't do that. It's not good for anybody. Anyways, Green was doing this. And he was... Man, he was striking, but he wasn't really landing. Like, I'm going to be straight with you. Like, I was watching the fight, and I was a bit tired when I was watching it. But it didn't really look like he was landing much of anything. And even at the end of the fight, John Vellante's face was fine. You know what I mean? So it, it really... Honestly, that fight almost felt like a whole lot of nothing. But... But... The third round was different because in the third round, John Vellante drops Green and almost finishes the fight. I mean, he's about to fuck this guy up. You know what I'm saying? Um, but Green weathers the storm. On bottom, he secures what I would call an arm triangle and finishes it from the bottom. <laughs> it was fucking crazy, man. I can't even believe he did that. So at one minute... And 18 seconds, he does that shit. And it's just... That's fucking incredible. Uh, good for him. Decent fight. It was cool. One other thing I, I thought was really nice is that Green, after when he was being interviewed... What's his name? John Anik asked him how he felt. And Green just started crying, man. He just started crying. And I guess he needed he needed the money, man. Because he was talking about how he needed to move his whole family and he needed the cash to do it. And, and, and you know, Trevor Whitman, I think. No, Trevor Whitman. Oh, my God. Who? Jackson Wink? I think Jackson Wink. Fuck, I can't. I can't. It's, it's a W. Last name starts with a W. I can't even fucking. It's New Mexico. Jackson Wink. That's got to be them. Wink. Anyways, they got put up by the coach, and they trained, and they did everything they could to win this fight. He's the breadwinner, and he, and he won, and he's bringing the money back to the family. And he was crying. He felt so good. And in that moment, I also felt good. I was, I was almost crying myself. I thought to myself, wow, this is great. Good for you, man. I'm so fucking happy for you and your family. This is fucking sweet. You know, and a lot of these fighters, man, they're family men. They're family men. They're doing this shit because they love it, but it's the tool that they use to feed their families. And, um, yeah, man. Okay, uh, we're just gonna do the co main event. We already talked about, uh, the main event. If you wanna see what I had to say about the main event, Go watch that video. I'll put a link to it in the description. I don't know how to do those like hovering boxes and shit yet, but I'll figure it out. I'll. So I'm sure it's doable. I mean, I see people do it all the time, so I bet you I can do it. Anyways, uh, Mike Perry versus Mickey Gall. So Mike Perry, as you all know, decided to have his girlfriend corner him, which 
I personally had said uh, was kind of concerning, and I, I thought that there was a level of arrogance in thinking that he didn't need a coach. Uh, but I actually don't know if he just really didn't think he needed a coach or if there was something else going on, and we'll get into that later. In any case, man, uh, Mickey Gall won the first round. He just got the better of exchanges. Um, uh, it was a 10-9. It was a lot of just Mickey Gall like circling and striking Mike Perry, uh, who was throwing some pretty wild shit. Um, looked good, looked decent for somebody who had just done all the training by himself. Uh, not much went on here. Uh, next, next, next round. I gave it to ten. I got ten nine. Uh, Mike Perry. Uh, he pretty much owned Mickey Gall with ground and pound. Uh, that was like the highlight of that round. And Mickey Gall was on the, the defense for the whole fight essentially. Um. And then Mike Perry just caught on to everything that Mickey Gall was doing in the third round. And uh, he just did better on the feet and on the ground, so I gave it to Mike Perry 10-9. Um, couple notes about this fight. I mean, not many. Not many. Uh, all, all I can say is that when Mike Perry did have Mickey Gall on the ground and he threw elbows down, they were mean. When Mike Perry throws elbows, there is lethal intent in those. And it's not like he's throwing them angry. He's just throwing them fucking mean. Like, it's just, that's the best way I can describe it. When they land, you can hear the, the, the violence with, with, with which he, he intended to throw them in the canvas. At one point, he fucking bounced Mickey Gall's head off of the fucking canvas with his elbow. I mean, it was it was fucking brutal. I loved it though. I love it. I don't know. I fuck. I can't explain why I love it. I just do. Um, one thing I thought that was really impressive though that Mike Perry talked about in his interview after the fight was that he said he figured out the code names for Mickey Gall's moves in the third round, which could explain why he did so much better on the feet uh, in that round. If that's true, can I just say that that's extremely impressive for any human being? You're in the middle of a fight and you have enough time to focus on what the other corner is saying. It fights somebody in front of you and decipher what they're doing in relation to that all at the same time. I mean, what the fuck? That's fucking incredible. Not only that, but then capitalize on it. I mean, it's, it's enough to know what they're saying. It's a whole other thing to actually fucking use it to your advantage. So... Look, man, while Mike Perry does some crazy shit, and sometimes he doesn't seem like the brightest, you know, tool in the box to me, you know, sometimes he does crazy shit, like, say, my girlfriend is going to corner me. I mean, that doesn't seem like the smartest decision. No offense, but he's fucking smart enough to understand that and train himself, essentially, and win. So, fuck, man. Uh, hats off to, to Mike Perry. He fucking, he fucking did that shit. Um... But now I'm starting to think that maybe his girlfriend is in his corner and he doesn't have any coaches. Not just because he doesn't trust coaches or they're not going to do the things that they tell him to do in the cage, as he said. But also because, man, they said you got to pay cornermen. 
maybe he just doesn't have any money right now. I mean, he's talking about, like, he literally just got paid, and he's talking about, okay, well, I'm going to go pay off debts now. I'm going to go pay off debts. I mean, fuck, man. Maybe that's what was going on. Maybe that's why Mike Perry is doing all this crazy shit, talking about I don't need coaches or whatever, because he can't afford them. I don't know, man. I don't know. In any case, hats off to Mike Perry. Um, all right, gang. Just two little tidbits that we're going to talk about. Taking it easy today, as it is Canada Day. Canada Day. July 1st. It's Canada Day. Canada Day. So we're all just relaxing, enjoying ourselves. I got myself as clean as I possibly could. In preparation for Canada Day. I like to be clean on my days off. I like to feel delicious. This is just about as long as I'm going to let my facial hair get. Before I start to feel dirty about it. If I have long hair, I feel dirty. That's just the way it is. Anyways. A couple notes about things that fighters said. Mike Perry says that he wants a friendship basis when it comes to training. A friendship basis. He doesn't really want coaches. So perhaps it's not just like he didn't have the money. Perhaps he really means what he said before. Because I forgot he said this until I read my note. He says that he would like to just go to other fighters, I guess, or maybe just other people and learn from them as just equals like hey I'll show you something and you can show me something and you know that's how I'll train that's how I'll develop and you know what the thing is I mean that's not necessarily a horrible idea because once you get to you know the higher levels of um higher levels of uh, any sort of martial art you're also able to teach so I, I imagine that black belts roll in jiu-jitsu learn from each other all the time and the same in many other martial arts you know karate or taekwondo or whatever it is I mean once you're able to teach there's nothing to say that you can't teach a black belt I mean black belts probably don't know everything so, I mean, if he just goes to from gym to gym, hanging out with other welterweights and learning from them, that could work. You know, that's like the first option. Just don't like even don't even bother with coaches. Just go train with Kamara Usman and, and, and you know, get him to, to tell you what he does and what he likes because he actually fights and you want to hear from somebody who's actually in the cage. That's what Mike Perry said, right? Not a horrible idea, right? I mean, can we all agree that if, you know, Dominic Cruz, Cody Garbrandt, Mighty Mouse Johnson, and Henry Cejudo all got together in a room and decided to teach each other shit that all of them would learn something from the others? I mean, I would say that. I'd bet money on that. There's no way that they, you know, they couldn't learn anything from each other. Right? And theoretically, whatever they learn from me, from the other people could be enough to win them a title fight. So it's like, in that case, do you even really need coaches? I don't know. Maybe not. 
But the other thing that he could have meant when he said that is like, okay, well, if I have a coach, I don't want a coach to to be like telling me what to do or 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 demanding that you know I I I I work out in this way. What I just want is like for somebody somebody who's like on my level, somebody who is like the same as me and is simply simply a a person who's going to suggest things who's going to suggest things as opposed to tell me what to do and in that sense he still could have people who are coaches but they wouldn't be his coach that could be a new way to train right not too much different i think because i mean I mean, a coach is a coach, and they're going to tell you what a coach would tell you, right? I don't think a coach is going to, you know, tell their friend to do one thing and then tell their their fighter to do another. Coach's goal is to get every fighter, no matter who they are, to the best they possibly can be. You know, that's irrespective of whether or not you're, you know, directly supposed to listen to them or not. Like, the truth is, coaches, I mean, if you don't listen to your coach, your coach will just accept that you didn't listen to them a lot of the time. I mean... Or at least that's what I think. I don't think a coach would be like, oh, you're not listening to me and now I'm not going to train you anymore, right? So I don't know if that's what he meant, man. I mean, if he does mean to just go around and talk with different fighters, technically that is a different way of training that could work. I mean, who knows? Maybe that's the new way to train, right? I don't know why we, you know, you could assume that that doesn't work. The only thing that I could say is that it's clear that there are certain coaches who unanimously, everyone says, like, okay, when I worked with this guy, he changed my world. There are boxing coaches like that. Cody Garbrandt goes to one of them. I can't even remember the name of the guy right now that he goes to. But my point is, I mean, unless the issue is that the coaches that Mike Perry has access to are not like that, there are coaches out there who are going to revolutionize the game of champions. So he says that he wants a more friendship basis, but I just feel like I feel like at some point that's going to be a like a, a, a wall. I feel like at some point it's going to be limited, you know. Mike Perry, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying that that won't work. It might work, and it might work for some time. But eventually, your friends are just going to end up telling you shit that their coaches told them, you know. Eventually, at some point. And maybe in that way you're getting coached, but just in a different way. Because you're getting basically whatever those fighters you know think works the best. I mean, if you go train with Cody Garbrandt after he's done with this other person, theoretically there's stuff that Cody Garbrandt took from them and there's stuff that Cody Garbrandt didn't take from them. And if your goal is to weed out all of the shit that he didn't take from them because you think it's a waste of time, then what you're doing actually works. But you're going to get coached in a way second hand at some point if you want to like reach that level 
So it could be temporary, in which case that's fine. Or maybe it's not. Maybe maybe Mike Perry is going to be one of those crazy fighters in history who just did something that nobody ever would do. And somehow was successful. I mean, he won a fight without cornermen. I don't know what, if that's ever happened. You know what I'm saying? So maybe, maybe he's on to something, guys. Dustin Poirier in his post-fight interview said that he's going to take some time off and that he doesn't want to fight to the point where he hates this. He doesn't want to fight until he hates what he loves doing right now. That point, I think, is a good one. Um... In more than one way. The thing about fighting is, if you want to do it, and if you want to be good at it, if you want to be really good, if you want to be a champion, this thing that you love is going to have to turn into, like, like a job, like work, like real work. Like, to the point where, like, you're just, you're just trudging through monotony because of how you need to hone your body in order to be that good. Now the thing is, it's like when you're doing training, when you're in the midst of training, for at least for me, I always enjoy it. But there are some times where you're like, oh my God, like I'm training five days a week, two hours a day. I've got time for nothing else. And... I'm, I'm literally exhausted. And I, I imagine that the training is even more intense for somebody who's at the level, you know, UFC caliber level athlete, obviously, right? So it's, 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 it's kind of tough because it's like you want to be the greatest, but in order to be the greatest, you almost have to, you know, trained to a point of, of, of dislike for the thing. Which kind of sucks. And so Dustin Poirier, I think, is doing the smart thing in just taking his time. And I think a lot of fighters need to do that. I think that, I mean, not just in in the sense that you, you don't want to train to the point where you, you no longer like what you're doing, but also just to, just to give yourself time to hone skills. I find that, I mean, me included in this, it's like people are almost so excited, like they just cannot wait to get fighting that you see a lot of guys who jump in there before they're ready. And it's like a lot of UFC careers start at like, 22, 23, something like that. 26, some of these guys. And I think 26 is probably the age. I'm going to be straight with you. If you're really trying to make it run for the title. Because if you really, okay, think about it like this. If you just dedicated all of your time, like, okay, let's say you could either try to make it into the UFC and start fighting at 24 or 23 or wait until you're 26. 
And in that time, just train like a motherfucker. If you did that, when you got to the UFC, you kind of do what Israel Adesanya did in that he didn't have to go through, you know, working his way at the rankings and then getting pushed back down and then working their way. No, no, you could just go straight to the top. Because instead of, you know, fighting and taking longevity off of your career and going through training camps and having to do recovery and all this shit, you just train the entire time. Which isn't what Israel Adesanya did, obviously, because he had, like, 75 kickboxing matches. But my point is, if you just wait, if you just take your time with it, I feel like your fight career just will be better. But everybody is so, like, I need to fight and I need to fight, like, as soon as possible. I get that because I wanted to do it as well, right? But you got to kind of be smart about it and think, look, man, you might want to just wait until you can go in there and be a real force to be reckoned with. You know what I'm saying? You want to make sure that all aspects of your game are solid before you even think about stepping in there. You see a lot of guys get in there and they don't have any jujitsu, And you're just thinking to yourself, look, man, take some years to get good at that and then come back. And then maybe you have a chance to be in the top five. Just a thought. Just a thought. I don't know. Maybe that makes sense. Maybe that doesn't make any sense. Everybody is talking about, or not everybody, but I'm seeing on Instagram, people are like, okay, well, who's next for Dustin Poirier? And the fucking, man, I don't know why the fuck people have Nate Diaz in the conversation. But whoever is, like, placing Nate Diaz in a conversation to fight Dustin Poirier doesn't know, like, fucking anything about the UFC or matchmaking. Are you fucking dense? Nate Diaz's last fight was at welterweight. He got spanked for a couple rounds, and then there was a no contest. He isn't even in the top 15 of lightweights right now. Why the fuck would Dustin Poirier, who at the time was ranked number three, fight fucking Nate Diaz? Are you fucking dense? That makes no sense. At all. I mean, fuck. And also, man, this is, it's so fucking weird. They also put Conor McGregor in the conversation. Like, should Conor McGregor fight? Listen, man, if you, okay, this is my honest opinion. If you're going to say I'm retired, I'm not talking about you in terms of future fights anymore. That's it. You don't get to fucking just drop in and out of the fucking MMA world whenever you want and expect me to con- like continue to talk about you like you're fucking relevant. I may talk about like things that you've done in the past, but I'm not gonna fucking like what? Like, oh, like should we match make Dustin Poirier with Conor McGregor, the retired MMA fighter? Shut the fuck up. I love, I love, oh, look man, everybody loves Conor McGregor, okay? Nobody doesn't like Conor McGregor, right? But I am so fucking sick of the way that everyone rides his dick. I am so sick of it. Look, man, 
He's a fighter. He's a good fighter. He's even a great fighter. But he's fucking retired. Let him be. Let it die. If he wants to come back, then we'll fucking talk about him. But until then, fuck the guy. I don't give a shit. I don't give a fuck. He came back and won one fight at welterweight against Donald Cowboy Cerrone, who's been fighting for fucking years and is close to retirement. Was finished uh, before that by uh, uh, Justin Gaethje. The guy fights one person, comes back, fights one person, and then fucks off. I'm not fucking talking about this guy in terms of a, like a like a matchup. Dude, he's not even in the fucking question. So fuck Nate Diaz and fuck Conor McGregor for the matchup with Dustin Poirier. Makes absolutely no fucking sense. None at all. Next thing. Dustin Poirier, even if Conor McGregor was not retired, okay? Let's be real here. Dustin Poirier was ranked three. The only person who was above him at that point was Tony Ferguson. Justin Gaethje and Habib are already fighting. Tony Ferguson already had his shot at Gaethje and lost. We're not going to give him a shot at Habib right after that. It's clear. It is obvious to me, at the very least, that Dustin Poirier gets this fight. Irrespective of whether Nate Diaz or Conor McGregor are even in the fucking lightweight division right now, which they're not. It is so clear to me that Habib, if he wins, or uh, or Justin, if he wins, fights Poirier. That is obviously the fight to make. It's either Habib uh, Poirier 2 or Gaethje Poirier 2. That, that's the fight. I don't know why anybody is even fucking, like, considering anything else. It makes no sense to me at all. It makes absolutely no sense. I don't know why things like that annoy me. I, I'm, I, I think that, honestly, I think it has something to do with the idea that somebody who doesn't deserve a fight or a position will get one based on clout. And it fucking annoys the shit out of me. It's like when Jose Aldo gets a title fight even though he lost and he's ranked number nine in a division. It's like... That fucking bothers me. I understand who Jose Aldo is and why he's a big fucking deal or whatever. But let's be straight, man. That's not really fucking... I don't know. The only thing that I can say about that... Like, it's not really fair, but the only thing I can say about that... It's like, okay, well, he's getting older, so if it's not now, you know, it's probably never. You know, he's given us a lot of good fights, so give him the fight. Alright, whatever. If you just want to respect the OG, okay. But I just do not like that, man. At, that's like you just decide like man you just decide okay well Diego Ferreira is fighting uh is fighting uh uh Justin Gaethje now <laughs> just because of popular opinion like it's fucking ridiculous it's fucking ridiculous man people are literally putting no man when somebody works as hard as these fighters do they get the fucking fight they deserve sometimes we get the fight that we want and that's great. But it also needs to be the fight that we deserve. Or that that, that that is deserved. Let's be straight here. We're not going to get Tony to fight Habib because everybody wanted to see that fight. As far as I'm concerned, that fight is dead. 
For the foreseeable future, that fight is dead. Justin Gaethje is the person who deserves that fight. And I also want to see that fight. Honestly, I want to see that fight more than I want to see Tony fight Habib now, to be honest with you. But, point is, even if I wanted to see Habib fight Tony more, I wouldn't want to see the fight. Because the person who deserves that fight right now is Justin Gaethje, and after that, it's Dustin Poirier. If Conor McGregor is going to fight... Oh my god, I can't even believe it. He is in the rankings. He is in the rankings still, even though he fucking retired. The truth is, I don't believe he's really retired, but the fact that he's going to do this fucking publicity stunt and say I'm retired just annoys the fucking shit out of me. So I'm actually just fucking annoyed with him. But if Conor McGregor... You know what? I'm not even going to give him the fuck... I, I shouldn't even fucking say this. I'm so mad right now that I'm even doing this right now. Look, okay. I'm... You know what? Fuck you, Connor. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. Um, Tony Ferguson is probably going to fight Charles Oliveira next. Uh, I mean, or Dan Hooker. Well, actually, Dan Hooker just lost. So maybe Dan Hooker fights Charles Oliveira. Fuck, that's kind of hard. Who do you give Tony next? You probably give Tony... You know who you probably give Tony? You probably give Tony whoever loses. So, like, whoever loses... Okay, whoever wins Habib Gaethje fights Poirier, right? And then whoever lost Habib Gaethje probably fights Ferguson. But then that would be Gaethje fighting Ferguson again. I don't know if you'd even want to do that. I don't know, man. Tony's got to fight somebody under himself. He's got to fight somebody under himself. So he's got to fight, like, Charles Oliveira, Paul Felder, Dan Hooker, I guess. Could fight Dan Hooker. Anyways, man. That is my opinion on a bunch of shit. Um... Twitter, Instagram, The Combat Addict. Just one word, The Combat Addict. Twitch, The underscore Combat underscore Addict. Um, we're going to start clipping these. We're going to start clipping these bitches up so you guys don't have to watch like a full 60 minutes of me fucking yelling at a camera. But uh, we're going to work on getting these clips out, okay? Combat Addict out.